passage today is in Hebrews chapter 10. Um, We're going to be bouncing around looking at a couple of other different passages, so you may want to turn to it in your Bible if you have one, or grab a pew Bible in front of you and uh, actually turn there if if you'd like. I'd like to follow along later. Otherwise, the main uh, portion of Scripture is obviously in the worship folder behind me. So it's Hebrews 10, starting verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and not delay But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This is God's word. Have you ever faced a crisis in your Christian walk? One of those times where, where maybe the sins of your past just starts calling you back to it. When the walk of obedience gets, gets frustrating, maybe seems almost hopeless, have you ever thought, maybe this isn't even worth it? See, today we're going we're gonna to pick up where Drew left off last week and some of his themes. And last week, Drew spoke of, of trying to change and the need to repent and be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to keep God's commands One of the things Drew said was, we are saved so that we can obey. So let's just assume today, we're just going to move past uh, works righteousness. Let's say we understand that we're saved by grace and that we do good deeds and we obey out of gratitude and love for Christ. So once we do that, now what? That's the question, now what? Well, it probably isn't a surprise for most of you that just once you... You know, once you repent, you just don't automatically become holy. It's not, it's not a magic wand for obedience. 
Even when we are saved, after we're saved, there's a struggle to do what is right. And sometimes that struggle can be intense. Sometimes it can be frustrating. And sometimes we want to give up. And isn't that what we've been talking about with the Hebrews? See, the Hebrews were Christians who were facing a crisis in their faith and were contemplating a return to their old life. And so some of the dynamics of the Hebrews and us are different because probably there's nobody here raising sheep in their backyard hoping to go back to a sacrificial system. But, but that doesn't mean that we're not facing similar struggles and similar trials. Maybe it looks like this. Maybe all of a sudden you get a friend request on Facebook from an old boyfriend or an old girlfriend. And you, you start thinking about the good old days. And you think, you know, it'd be nice to go get a cup of coffee with that person and just, you know, just to catch up. My wife or my husband, they, they don't need to know. Maybe it's family members trying to pressure you away from living for Christ. Or perhaps it looks like this. Maybe you're single You look around, and all your friends, all your non-Christian friends are in marriages or in long-term relationships, and you think, well, maybe if I just walk away and I just go live like them, I could could have what they have. They, They look pretty happy. Or you're looking for a job still, and that voice comes in your head and says, does God even care about you? Why are you still struggling to try to live for him when he's not doing anything for you? Students here, maybe, maybe it's social pressure to live like everyone else in your school. And you're struggling and you're thinking, maybe living for Christ just really isn't all that great. Whatever it is, whatever the particulars, the voice keeps calling you and comparing the hardships of being a Christian against the rewards and pleasures of sin. And you start to think, well, maybe they have a point. We face a constant barrage of attacks trying to lure us away from the obedience of Christ. And back to our old lives, sometimes it gets discouraging. So if you're here today in the midst of a struggle, the message to you today is is to stand firm. Stand firm. And the writer of Hebrews is going to encourage us to stand firm in three ways. First, he's going to remind us of the penalty we were saved from. Second, He's going to remind us of our former passion and our future reward. And lastly, he's going to remind us of our hope for victory and that hope that we can hold on to. So first, he reminds us of the penalty we were saved from. It's a chronic problem, I think, in the Christian life to forget what it was like before we were saved. I mean, I was saved really young and has just been saturated with grace all my life. And so, so it's hard for me to really relate to, to unbelievers and the punishment that, that they're facing. And so oftentimes I can look at them and they seem, they seem happy, they seem content, and they seem at peace. And I think, well, they, you know, they're doing all right. Maybe I could live like that. But I forget that there's a fearful fate that awaits them. And in the midst of our struggle, living like that may seem pretty nice. It's like this. I've spoken to a couple of guys throughout the years at work who are going through difficult times in their marriage. And throughout the conversation, at some point, they'll say, man, I think it would just be easier just to be single again. See, 
they've forgotten something. They've forgotten why they got married in the first place. So when I'm talking to them and I try to ask them questions and point them back to why they got married in the first place, because for me, I know why I got married. And that was because I was barely surviving being single. When I left my mother's house to go away to college, I didn't just leave my parents behind. I left civilization behind. And all my friends that could cook and clean, and they were living all right, but, but I was like one step above an animal. I was a manimal. And, and I looked at two, and when I see pictures of myself before I met Amber, I look at that guy and I say, man, someone needs to throw him a pork chop. Because I was just living off raw potatoes, ramen noodles, and cocoa pebbles. So. so when Amber married me, probably for my potential more than what I looked like at the time, she didn't, she didn't just marry me, she saved me. And she taught me how to cook potatoes. That really increases their flavor, and I appreciate that. So when Amber says, when she says, where would you be without me? I know where I would be, starving. I wasn't meant to live alone, and, and I wouldn't have made it. And every time she goes out of town, I'm reminded of that fact. See, because sometimes as husbands, we need to be reminded why we got married. And sometimes as Christians, we need to be reminded why we left our sin behind. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is doing. He's bringing them back to reality. So let's take a look at it. Our text starts at verse 26, but... But really the thought, the full thought of what he's doing starts at verse 19. And so if you have your Bibles out and you're at Hebrews 10, look at verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so, so that's his first thought. And then he's going to contrast it. He says, you know, it's kind of like, and then he goes on, because if we don't do what he just said in verse 19, then for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that, that consumed the adversary. See, he's painting two choices. When, we come, when we're confronted with Jesus, we have two alternatives. We can, we can hold fast or we can go back. This is important because if we just look at verse 26 without the context, it looks like you know, a pretty scary thing because I don't know about you, but I might have sinned once or twice deliberately since becoming a Christian. But what he's really doing is he's painting two choices. And the Hebrews were thinking about it. And they were contemplating going back. And so the Holy Spirit, through the writer of the Hebrews, is putting them on alert. If you forfeit your salvation, you would get the same thing an unbeliever gets. You'd get actually worse than what an evil, evil unbeliever gets. Specifically, a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire. He's saying, really? You guys are thinking about going back to that? 
we need to be careful to never forget that we weren't just saved to something in heaven. We were saved from something, hell. And whenever we start looking starry-eyed at our sins, we need to remember that the wages of sin is death. So the person who is starting to flirt with the past on Facebook needs to be reminded that in his or her past, he was facing the terrors of hell. The person facing pressures of family should be reminded that your family won't be able to answer for you before Christ. To the single, looking at all the, all the happy, unsaved couples, you should remember that that life comes with a price. The person angry with God over his job should remember that God was once angry with him, but has saved him from that anger. The teenager looking to fit in should remember that it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. So if you're sitting here today, if you're contemplating throwing in the towel, maybe you're thinking it would just be, it would just be simpler to give it all up. But for what? What did you have before except a terror that is so bad, it's embarrassing for me to be standing up here talking about it? Hold fast. What the world has to offer is just empty pleasure. It's empty relief. Do not trade the pressures that come with the wealth of Christ to live easy in the slums of sin. There is nothing there for you. Remember the penalty you were saved from. But he just doesn't point out the penalty we were saved from. He also reminds them of their former passion and their future reward. Look at verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will, not, will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So you see, the, the Hebrews were once exciting people. At, at one time, they had a passion. They had a mission. They used to love God and be happy to face hardship. But that fire had died. They used to joyfully accept the plundering of their property, but they don't anymore. And so the Holy Spirit is trying to rekindle that fire. I once worked with a man who was an environmentalist. And now, I'm not going to bash environmentalists, so don't, don't jump ahead of me, but... This guy was one. He was a bit of a hippie, but that was okay because he was a nice guy. And when he was younger and straight out of college, he wanted to save the world. So he joined the Peace Corps for a couple of years. And then after that, he would, he would just work during tax season. And then he would go off the rest of the year trying, trying to save it, trying to save the world. But when I met him, that fire had died. Because he was an environmentalist working for one of the nation's largest land developers. The division that we worked for not only developed land, but lobbied to open up the Everglades so that we could develop the Everglades. He was an environmentalist who had sold out. And we all start off the same way, right? 
when we're younger, we have a cause, we have something to live for, and we, we, you're passionate about it. But as we get older, as we become adults, we have to decide if the cause is worth it. We ask ourselves, do the rewards of the cause justify the sacrifices I am making for that cause? And to this environmentalist, he decided that the rewards offered by the land developer was greater than the cause of environmentalism. Now, what about the Hebrews? The Holy Spirit is directing them, saying, remember when? Hey, do you remember when you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property? Do you remember when you faced persecution and public humiliation? Do you remember comforting the Christians thrown in prison? There was a time when they had a passion, and they were wavering in that passion. They're considering the job with the lane developer. They're beginning to question whether or not the reward justified their sacrifices. And maybe you are too. Maybe you're asking, what will I get out of it? In Luke 18, Peter, Peter starts asking that question. And he says, says to Jesus, hey, look, see, it says, verse 28, and Peter said, see, we've left our homes and followed you. After, after Jesus just turned away the rich young ruler, and Jesus responds in verse 29, and he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who would not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. The hardship that you face, the things you give up for Christ, just remember there is a reward coming. There's something greater coming. And I don't know if your dreams will ever come true. But I do know that every dream laid on the altar of the obedience of Christ will be richly rewarded. And remember that that God is not cheap in his rewards. At the beginning of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, there is an important sporting match where two national championships are competing for the World Cup. And before the game, each team's mascot does this you know, amazing, magical thing to try to get the crowd excited and on their side. And so the Irish team had leprechauns, right? Because it's Harry Potter, not real life, so don't get excited. So they had these leprechauns, and what the leprechauns did was they threw gold into the crowd. And so the crowd got all excited, and they're running around, they're grabbing the gold, they're cheering for the team, it works. But what they didn't know was that it wasn't regular gold, it was leprechaun gold. And after a few hours, it would disappear. The reward for their loyalty was temporary, and it was cheap. And the rewards of this life are just like that. They are passing away. And God is not cheap. And when he rewards your sacrifice, he's not going to repay you in leprechaun gold. He's going to repay you richly in the life to come. So the person contemplating a return to his past should remember that that his or her faithfulness to their spouse will be rewarded. Remember the passion you once had when you were first married and love your spouse and love Christ. The person facing family pressures should remember that, that no one has left his father or mother or wife for Christ that won't be rewarded in this life and in the one to come. To the single who maybe happily stayed true in their teens and then in their 20s, but maybe now is looking around wondering if their time will ever come. 
Remember the passion you had years ago and remember that Christ is worth it. For the person facing disenchantment with their situation, wondering when God is going to repay his end of the bargain, remember there is a reward coming. Remember the excitement that you had when you first started to obey. To the student wanting to fit in, you should remember that God himself will repay your obedience. God is worth all the hardship. The Holy Spirit was pointing this out to the Hebrews, and I am pointing it out to you today. Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Hold fast. Stand firm. When the voice creeps in your head and asks, is it worth it? Answer, yes. Yes, a thousand times yes. The rewards of Christ are greater than all this world has to offer. The glory of Christ is worth all our pains and sorrows. And you once knew that. We once were happy to be called the crazy uncle, to lose dinner invitations because we were the weirdo Christians. Don't be like the environmentalist dead to his dreams. Wake up and look to your reward and remember the passion you once had and stand firm. So, so where are we? We remember the penalty we were saved from and we know we can't go back. And we know there is a reward, reward awaiting if we fight our sins. But some of us may still think there is no hope. You can try to fight, but you just don't think you're strong enough to win. And so maybe you're just sitting there, settling into your seat, putting on your brave face, ready to face your doom and, and go down fighting. You'll face the frustration and stress, but in the back of your mind you think, I'll try it, but I'm, I'm just so weak. And what you feel looking at your sin is probably the same way that Davy Crockett and the rest of the defenders felt standing on the wall of the Alamo looking out at the advancing Mexican army. And in many ways, their struggle might seem similar to ours. The Texans were fighting for their independence, and they couldn't, they couldn't surrender, or they wouldn't have a home to go back to. And we know that we can't surrender to our sin because then we only have death and misery that awaits us. See, they had a passion to fight as well and thought that the reward of a free Texas was worth the pain of death. And we have a cause worth dying for as well, the glory of Christ, which is is worth way more than the freedom of Texas. But that's where the similarities end, because, because they had no hope of victory, but we are guaranteed victory. You don't just have to sit there and put on a brave face. You see, if you are in Christ, if you've repented from your sins and turn to Christ, you will win the day. Look at the very last verse, one sentence that is the key to this whole passage. Verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. You see, if you are in Christ, you have no fear of losing your salvation because you're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. You're not the ones who choose to live lives filled with sin and disobedience from Christ. You are those who have faith and preserve your soul. You might wonder, how does that work? Well, it works because we're not the ones who keep ourselves. The Holy Spirit keeps us. So if you turn just a few books to the right to 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 3.
what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So you see, see, God is the one who brings salvation. In fact, in verse 3, it says, causes our salvation. And he's the same one who keeps you and guards you. And he does this by working through your faith. Our hope is not that we're able to hold on to Christ. It is that Christ is holding on to us. Sure, we might, we might even want to let go. We might let go. We might be too weak. But he is strong. And he is the one doing the holding. So when you go on Facebook, you have the power to defriend because the Holy Spirit has given you that power. When your family comes and starts to pressure you, you have the power to say no and to live for Christ because the Holy Spirit will fuel your faith. To the singles wondering if they can stay true and they desire her family so bad, the answer is yes, you can because God is there helping you. To the person facing discouragement, wondering where is God, the answer is he's right beside you, keeping you from turning away. For the student who wants to fit in and go with the flow, asking where will his strength come from, it comes from the Lord who never leaves you or forsakes you. You see, now I have to give a giant warning, this, this monumental caveat. You see, if you actually took the time to come to church today, you probably fall into one of two groups. You're probably, on the one hand, we have people who are saved and will stand firm. And on the other hand, there's people who think they're saved but are wrong. And so, so what we want to do today is we want to give assurance of your salvation to those who are in Christ and doubt of your salvation to those who are not in Christ. Because it's only after realizing that you are not saved that you can become saved. So what must a person do to be saved? The answer is repent and believe. You must come to hate your sin. You have to be a traitor to your sin and abandon it and flee to Christ and beg him to accept you. That is what is meant by repent and believe. And for those who do that, the Holy Spirit is faithful to keep you. He will not turn us away. But sometimes repentance gets lost in the shuffle. Sometimes we don't mention it it at all. And perhaps there are some of you who after some emotional time or another said a prayer, but that prayer had no bearing on your life since. You asked for forgiveness, but you didn't surrender your life. You didn't abandon your sins. Maybe you're here, but your heart is cold towards God. So here's the test. If you have no affection for God or the things of God, if you have no drive to obey Him out of gratitude or love, if your life was not affected or changed by your your repentance or prayer, then the hard truth is you should have no assurance and you should feel no confidence. Because God keeping you means this, that the Holy Spirit will be working in your heart so that you would love Christ and want to obey Christ. And when the troubles come, you will be able to overcome, but you aren't overcoming. You aren't even fighting, which may mean you're not being kept by the Holy Spirit. 
which means you're not saved. But the good news is that that's not the end of the story. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living and angry God. But Christ took the anger and punishment for you. And so now he offers you peace. So your fight this morning is not whether or not to give up, to give in to sin. It's whether or not you're going to betray your sin. In the Revolutionary War, there was a general by the name Benedict Arnold. And you've probably heard of him. He tried to give West Point over to the British. He had to flee once it once got uh, found out. And now he's a byword. Everybody hates him. And you might have even heard people say, that guy's a Benedict Arnold, or don't be a Benedict Arnold. But see, we're all in a war of rebellion, but not against the British, right? We're in a rebellion against Christ, and we need to pull a Benedict Arnold. We need to be a traitor to our sins. We need to switch sides. So if you've never turned away from your sin, the call is clear. Repent. Forfeit your life. Pull a Benedict Arnold and turn to God and beg his forgiveness. And for the rest of us, the call is also clear. Do not give up hope. Stand firm in the fight. Don't be seduced by the world. Remember the terror and penalty you are saved from. Not just that. Stir up that old passion you used to have for Christ. And think of the rewards that await you. And finally, rest in the joy, knowing that you are not alone in the fight. But the Holy Spirit is fighting for you. And he will never let you go. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you give us strength to overcome and to obey. We pray today that you would renew our hope and our passion for the fight. And that we would go from here loving you more and being more thankful for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. Faith and hope are in the Lord Jesus Christ, that no matter how profound your struggle against sin, no matter how often it may feel as if it is having its way with you, as if Satan is just trampling all over your face. Now the promise is that there's a rest that is coming, that there's a place that you've been made for that's not this place, that's another that's on its way. Uh, That even as we journey through this life with all of the ups and downs and the struggles and the strivings, and as we seek by God's grace to hold fast, the promise is uh, that, that we are on a journey toward the place we've been made for, where we will see our Father face to face. And even now as we journey towards that home, He promises to journey with us, to hold us in His hands, and to never let us go. And so if your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, then receive this benediction this morning. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face towards you and give you His peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in His peace. Go and hold fast to Christ.